Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and help from those with proven experience in Christian service. We want you to be part of the program during the 30 minutes ahead. To visit the pastor's study today, text your question at 516-367-0391. Again, that's 516-367-0391. Now welcome to today's Visit to the Pastor's Study with Pastor Bill Shishko. And I am your host, Pastor Bill Shishko. We invite your calls if you're listening on Saturday. Live call-in number 631-955-5400. That's for Saturday only. Live call-in number 631-955-5400. Or any time in the week, you can text your questions, 516-367-0300. On the past week's programs, we've been addressing issues related to what what I can only describe as a cataclysmic change in views and attitudes toward gender and sexuality, particularly here in the United States. Gender dysphoria is now a common term for a person's confusion about his or her gender, a condition that's now applied even to prepubescent minors. People who are uncomfortable with their biological sex are increasingly taking medical and surgical measures to change their gender, even as an increasing number of people who have made those changes now express regret for what they've done and are seeking to expose this trend as a new medical fraud. Those in the scientific and medical communities express a range of doubt as to whether people with homosexual drives can or even should change that orientation. With that in view, and with the lobbying of the very vocal and active LGBTQ community, a number of states have enacted laws prohibiting licensed counselors from encouraging, quote-unquote, conversion therapy. And even within the Christian community, groups like Revoice are seeking to find ways that LGBTQ orientations, even if not actual homosexual practice, can be reconciled with faithful Christian living. And in response to all of these trends at these recent visits to the pastor's study, my guests and I have emphasized that these things are all deviations from God's good purposes for sexuality, purposes that he ordained from the time of creation. The gospel of the forgiving and transforming grace of God in Jesus Christ allows us to be honest with what we are, what are deviations from God's good will, to confess them and to find mercy and hope in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and to receive power to live new lives, conform to what the Apostle Paul calls the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Sinners of all types can be changed and are changed by the sovereign grace of God in Jesus Christ, grace that really, really is greater than all of our sin. But to go back to God's original design for sexuality, we first need to go back to God's good design for maleness and femaleness. In the first book of the Bible, fittingly called Genesis, the beginning, we're told in its first chapter that God created man, that is human beings, in his own image, male and female, he created them. The text does not say male and female, he created each one. There are no non-binary human beings. The fall of man into sin brought kinks into the good created order of things. Those kinks may be physical, mental, 
emotional or spiritual or a combination of these, but each human being is still either male or female. That's God's order, and we violate it to our own harm. But what's the meaning of male? And what's the meaning of female? What's a biblical view of manhood and womanhood? These are questions that you've asked for these open forums. Last week, Pastor Ben Miller of Trinity Church, Syosset, Long Island, New York, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, gave us a little window on a biblical view of manhood and how biblical manhood can be developed in the church. He drew our attention to the Apostle Paul's words in the first letter to the church in Corinth, Greece, in chapter 11 of that book, Does not even nature itself teach you? There are obvious physical differences between a man and a woman, and these should be respected and not flouted. But what exactly does nature itself teach us about womanhood? And what does the Word of God add to nature to help us define what biblical womanhood is? That's our topic for today's visit to the pastor's study, Biblical Womanhood. And my guest today is a woman that I know better than any other woman. Margaret Shishko is my wife of now 43 years. I've been attracted to her womanhood and to her biblical womanhood since we met 45 years ago. And over our years of marriage, I've watched that biblical womanhood develop and become even more beautiful than it was when we first met. I've watched Margaret as a mother help form the womanhood of our one daughter, Elizabeth, and I've also seen the formative influence that this pastor's wife has had on many younger women over her nearly 40 years of service with me. And Well, Margaret's also a gifted communicator on radio programs, so I'm looking forward to to getting her reflections on biblical womanhood on today's visit to the pastor's study. We invite your questions. Now, if you're listening again on Saturday, you can call the studio and be live on the program, 631-955-5400, or you can text your questions anytime in the week, 516-367-0391. You can put that under Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391. Margaret Shishko, welcome once again to a visit to the pastor's study. Good to have you with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) All right. I'm going to start with the same question that I asked Pastor Ben Miller on last week's program, but we're going to use a different gender, okay? Uh, Let's say a young woman comes to you, Margaret. She's in her late teens or early 20s, and she's wrestling with what it means to be a woman, and she wants to know what God says. So what do you tell her? Well, I think you begin with where God begins with man and woman he said it was not good for a man to be alone and therefore he made a help meet and he formed the woman from the man and she was to be a helper there and in that setting it was a perfect setting there was no sin it wasn't that one was better or competitive with the other but they were to complement one another Okay, the important word, com, com, not complement, although they, they would have, right. but complement, they were to, to they had to match. Assist. They, assist, good. And help. I think that the, as you go back to the Word of God and trying in our culture to bring our thoughts captive to the Word of God, it's a great liberating 
it's, it's greatly liberating to have God's word as an anchor to hold us and to define for us what God has said in his own word. Yeah, it, it is interesting. If you don't have, people have used the term moral compass. It's more than that. If you, if you don't have, a, as, as it were, basically a dictionary <laughs> that God himself has given us, you wonder how you do define male, male and female. We don't live long enough to experience enough of life to define it by our own experience. And so it's God graciously revealed to us from the Word of God the setting into which we are born. We don't ask to be born, but it's God's will that we were born and that we bring our thoughts captive to what he has said because that's where we get the best uh, he said, if Christ makes you free, you are free indeed. We're free to be what God has ordained us to be. Now, l- let me read you this uh, quotation from John Piper, Margaret. This is from uh, chapter one of the volume that he and Wayne Grudem edited, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I mentioned it last week. Here's a quotation. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. Do you like that statement? Yes, I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, I like the—I think that any time we want our own way or or what we think will bring us a blessing or control— we want um, we we become our own guide, whereas as we conform to the role that God has given us, it gives um, it takes strength to be submissive. I think that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth until Christ came, and Christ was. Before his father, it says his prayers were heard because of his reverence. He perfectly submitted to his father's will. I don't think any woman, including myself, would ever claim to be perfectly submissive. I would like to be, but, you know, we're born with that sinful nature. And we're going to, at times, do our own go our own way all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way i don't but i think for receiving and leadership from a man whose mind is also brought captive to the word of god is a tremendous help i don't have the resources or the theological training that a pastor has or that um, godly elders have had the freedom to cultivate. As a woman and having children, my life is very busy, 24-7. You don't know if you're going to get up in the middle of the night with a sick child or if you're going to have a hard time getting a child to sleep. Uh, There are just so many dynamics that concentrating on what God's Word teaches, I found difficult. I was very thankful that I had memorized some psalms that I could reflect on and keep my mind stayed on the Lord, but I needed other 
I needed a pastor who was given to shepherding the flock and teaching us and opening God's Word to us. And what's very interesting in that regard is, I can speak from personal experience, going back to the definition, you did and you do affirm, receive, and nurture that strength and that leadership in me as your husband. It's a beautiful example of it. The other thing I thought of, Margaret, when you mentioned Jesus was heard because of his reverence, in Ephesians 5, when it says that the wife is to, is to the word, the Greek word is fear, but it's not a quaking fear. The word is she is to reverence her husband. Obviously not in the same way you reverence Christ because he's not God, but there is that parallel there. I think that's why the woman's prayers are heard in a particular way when she lives out of that reverence for her husband. Our, our topic today is biblical womanhood, and I have a biblical woman with me, my wife Margaret. Uh, we're dealing with questions that have come to you in this uh, part two of our open forum on uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. We're going to continue. Margaret, I've got a number of other questions for you. We'll get to them after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. It's not enough to listen to pastors on the radio or to watch them on television. Everyone needs a biblically faithful pastor and everyone needs a biblically faithful church. A Visit to the Pastor's Study is a ministry of the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in the metropolitan New York area. We're no substitute for a faithful pastor in a local church, but we are a supplement. Visit our website, www.visitthepastorsstudy.org, and you can bring the ministry of this program right to your electronic device. Here you'll find archives of past programs, a weekly message from Pastor Bill's Pastor's Post, helps for pastors, helps for congregation members, material for officer training, and much more. That's www.visitthepastorstudy.org. And we also invite you to contact the host of this program, Pastor Bill Shishko. You can email him at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you so that he can bring his pastoral ministry to you personally. That's Visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com. Remember, everyone needs a pastor. And now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. I'm your host, Pastor Bill Shishko. Today, biblical womanhood. My guest is Mrs. Margaret Shishko, my wife, and the best example of a woman that I know, and the best example of a Christian woman and wife and mother. Your text questions welcome any time in the week, 516-367-0391, and you can call my study at 516-593-1507, 516-593-1507. I assure you, you'll get my electronic secretary, but leave your questions and we'll get back to you, or you can email me, visitpastorbill at gmail.com, visitpastorbill, that's all one word, at gmail. Com. Margaret, let's go to some of the specific biblical material about womanhood as it's meant to be. Uh, both the Old and the New Testaments teach that the woman was made of man, specifically from his rib. So as a woman, how do you understand that? And, and farther, does that bother you? Does it threaten your independence as a woman when you're told you are of the man? Well, no, it doesn't threaten my independence personally. Um, I get this. In that respect, I think I have a childlike faith. I believe that God knows what he's doing, and he does all things well. And, and none of us is independent anyway, really. We're totally absolutely dependent. Absolutely not. Right. And we're dependent continually for our very life and breath, and God 
as long as he seems fit for us to live. All right. Well, well, okay, when you think of the wife as a helper suitable to the needs of her husband, I mean, that's that's the concept of a help meet in Genesis chapter 2. Um, what does that mean to you? You're a helper meet or suitable to the needs of your husband. Well, I think first for me it means you don't compete with one another. Uh, competition or jealousy is not healthy in those realms, in those spheres. But it does mean to me that I try to be thoughtful and listen to when my husband is discussing plans or projects or issues and give a response that uh, would help him discern or, you know, help him think through these issues more clearly so that he can better deal with the challenges that God's put before him. So submission for you, you're, you're not a doormat. I, I think that's completely wrong to look at it that way. I think that if you love, if you love your children, your husband, you're going to say, you know, this looks like a dangerous situation to me. I think this is something you should be careful of. I think that um, you're certainly going to train your children and help them learn how to say things in certain situations, and that is liberating to them as you would with your husband, because especially a godly husband, there are many pitfalls and there's many challenges before him. How do you communicate? What do you want to communicate? And I think being a doormat and just going along for the ride would be disrespectful. Margaret, what about what about for single women? Okay, is is it right to say that she's a helper suitable to men? That that is to help men. Uh, I mean, does that mean that that a woman should never exercise leadership over a man? Well, that's a good question. I know several women that are single and have had very useful lives. Uh, you've had Jamie Dean on the program here. I have a very close Christian friend who did not marry because she never met someone that could lead her and would be uh, one that, you know, that had the same values that she had. But she had a very useful life. She worked for deaf children. She taught them. She was very helpful to the principal of that deaf school, and he was a man. But she complimented his role. Uh, He you know, he was married, but she filled a role that was specifically different than his wife, but very needful. And then later she became a principal of a school, uh, a Christian school, and then she led those children. So, And then later she went to China as a missionary. So yeah. you have many instances where women lead and direct their own lives, one thing. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the Bible does even say that to be single is to be freer to serve the Lord, which which we tend to not emphasize the way we exactly. Should. I don't think that, like Jamie Dean, for instance, would travel the way she does and is able to if she had children at home dependent on her and okay. and also this other lady. Yeah, that. sure. You know. Okay. Let, look, let's discuss. Got a couple of minutes left for your part, Margaret. Let's discuss the effects of the fall. 
of humankind into sin. As a result of that, Moses writes again in Genesis, the third chapter, the woman's desire will be for her husband, and that's not sexual desire because, well, sexual desire is part of the good created order. It's not a result of the fall and the subsequent curse of sin in the world. It's a desire to dominate, as we've often discussed. In fact, the same words used in the next chapter to describe Cain's desire to dominate and slay Abel. Okay, so how does that affect womanhood, and how did the gospel change that? Well, I think that there is that desire to control in all people. And and since God has said it clearly, it's a woman will tend to in marriage, use the children to control the husband or use sexual matters to control. And that's not what God ordained. He's told us that we are to honor one another and that the marriage bed is undefiled, which is a great liberating yeah. dynamic. We've also mentioned, too, and you the, the desire to dominate Grace, the mark of a godly woman, is a meek and a quiet spirit. And it, it seems to be that's what the gospel does in, in transforming womanhood in particular. Right. Yeah. And I think it does take a lot of strength to maintain and discipline ourselves to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And I have to pray and ask the Lord for that because that really is a work of the Holy Spirit within us. Yeah, they're actually fruit of the Holy Spirit in, in every way. In two words, Give us the cream. What's the essence of biblical womanhood? I'll give you three or four. (laughs) Being what God ordained us to be, and then in that there's true liberty. Wow, wonderful. It's remarkable to see how the completed Bible is sufficient, not only to tell us how each Christian might be completely equipped for every good work and liberated in that, But it also tells ministers and elders and local congregations how these good things are to be developed and demonstrated in the church. Now, it's obvious from our previous program and this one that the meaning of biblical manhood and womanhood must be taught and modeled in churches. And the Bible makes provision for that. Paul writes to Titus, who was a pastor, in the third of what are called the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus, Uh, because these letters give practical directions for church life. But listen to chapter 2, from chapter 2 of of the book of Titus. It says, For you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So mentor Paul writes to Pastor Titus. Sound doctrine. That word actually includes the idea of health-giving. It's doctrine that brings true health to body, soul, and society, And it's connected with sound living, particularly with respect to manhood and womanhood here. Men, both older and younger, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. They are to be sound males. 
Now, that's not of the essence of manhood, but it surely is of the essence of good manhood, and these things are to be taught and modeled in what is truly a countercultural community, the kingdom of God displayed in the church. Older women are not only to be reverent in behavior, but they're also to instruct and train the young women in good things like how to love their husbands and their children, how to be self-controlled and pure in a very unself-controlled and very impure day, and how to be good homemakers and how to show expressions of kindness. And there it is. Teachers, students, a curriculum for biblical manhood and womanhood that displays the grace of Jesus Christ who really transforms man-centered sinners into God-centered saints. So in the challenge to develop biblical manhood and biblical womanhood in our day, let me ask you a question. How's the church that you pastor or the church that you attend going back to the directions given in the Word of God? My thanks to Margaret Shishko for once again being my guest on a visit to the pastor's study, and thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a pastor to you through the medium of radio. Check out the archives of past visit to the pastor's study programs on sermonaudio.com. Just type in a visit to the pastor's study or go to our own website, visitthepastorsstudy.org. Remember, Sunday's the Lord's Day. Be sure to part, set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that's faithful to the Word of God. Remember, Everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to this week's A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York Incorporated in the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week for another Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.